1: president and founder of the Murthy Law Firm. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm honored to have with me two of our brilliant, smart, knowledgeable, and bright Murthy Law Firm attorneys. Alyssa Klein, who is a member of the firm, has been with the firm about 10 years, uh, with about 10 years of U.S. immigration law experience. And Chris Drynan who's another brilliant, smart, wise senior attorney at the multi-law firm with almost 20 years of U.S. immigration law experience. So between the three of us, we have over half a century of immigration law experience that we can happily share with you today. Though the topic isn't as warm and exciting, but it's certainly something extremely important for all of us as employers to understand what's going on. So the topic today is investigations of U.S. employers by federal governmental agencies. We're hopefully going to go over uh, and explain about why compliance on immigration compliance is so important, discuss some of the latest trends, matter of semi-solutions, which isn't so late anymore, but, yep, it's just, I guess, effective from this year, really, 2016, uh, how the government's uh, funding for fraud uh, anti-fraud uh, services has resulted in FDNS as becoming as powerful and having hiring more and more and more and more agents so that they can do even more investigations on U.S. employers. And it's all coming thanks to you and us as paying the filing fees, the 500 anti-fraud fee. And we are also seeing obviously increased cooperation between the different federal governmental agencies, whether it's Department of Labor Department of Homeland Security, Department of State. Uh, there's also a Department of State Bureau of Diplomatic Security. And then, of course, USCIS with the FDNS, the Fraud Detection and National Security, and ICE, the Immigration Customs Enforcement, and as I just said, Department of Labor. And some of these, uh, in some of these situations, they can actually lead to criminal investigations of employers. Uh, and hopefully, we will have a few minutes at the very end to share some tips and strategies to help you to overcome or at least deal with possible investigations. So with that, Chris uh, and Alyssa, can you just give us a little bit of insight on why is this immigration compliance important? Well,
2: immigration compliance is an important issue, Sheila, because immigration at large is a is a real hot-button topic in the U.S. right now. Uh, you can see that in the presidential election. Um, almost every week you'll see some sort of negative article talking about companies hiring H-1B workers and and, um, and casting that in a negative light. So in that climate, uh, it's important that employers avoid any sort of violations uh, in this arena. Uh, you're talking about minor paperwork violations or more serious ones like, like employing unauthorized workers.
0: Right. And while all companies are, you know, affected by immigration and, and are regulated through certain uh, uh, compliance issues like I-9 employment authorization verification, em- uh, employers that are in the immigration system, meaning using uh, like the H-1B system, hiring non-immigrants, they have additional burdens and they are going to be even more greatly affected, for example, through FDNS site visits, through the Department of Labor's wage and hour division, their enforcement, And IT consulting companies in particular, due to the nature of their business, the fact that people are always on the go, always on the move, you're gonna have more LCAs filed, more amendments filed, Um, they're gonna find their business to be more heavily impacted by the, the site visit program. Uh, And you had mentioned Matter of Simeo Solutions, which is, you know, exactly going to this point. Um, You know, now with this additional scrutiny, IT consulting companies are going to have to file more and more H-1B amendments because with Simeo Solutions, if you need a new LCA, you need to file an amendment. And previously, employers were just getting the new LCAs, okay? Um, Now, the the Simeo Solutions case talks specifically about if you need a new LCA, you need to file the amendment, but it doesn't address the fact that you may change a client location um, within the same area already covered by the LCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they didn't speak directly on this. They didn't say if there's a new one client, you need to file an amendment. And it's not in a policy memorandum or in the regulation. But what we've seen even before Simio Solutions is that even if your LCA was still good, if there was a change in a client, that, that you would you know, potentially need to do an amendment in that case, too.
2: Yeah, and negative findings coming from these site visits, um, from notices of intent to revoke that you might receive, or from investigations by the government uh, can have a devastating impact on an employer's business. Um, You can have short or sometimes long term employee absences um, if their extension is denied or if they're unable to get a visa stamp. Or this can even impact your clients if you're an IT consulting company um, because the consultants who are working at the end client are, are un- unable to work any further, if they're unable to get a visa stamp. Or sometimes, uh, in worst case scenario, you can have employees applying for a visa stamp and and actually discover that there's been a fraud finding made against them because of something that's un- potentially an innocent mistake by the employer. Um, and this can be a, a very serious problem.
1: For sure. So what are the latest trends that we're seeing in with respect to immigration enforcement? As many of you are already aware, There continues to be an increase in fraud investigations and oversight by the USCIS. Uh, You've seen the California Service Center choosing uh, an IT consulting companies that are being investigated by FDNS. You've seen them, you've just heard Alyssa and Chris talk about the matter of Simio Solutions. The CSC has really um you know continues to look at ca- all of the different service centers look at these this issue and we're continuing to see some of these as hot button issues so it's almost like if they find that there's a reason where there's a mismatch like Alyssa was take, saying without the with the work being look with the work location with the end client with the uh, you know with anything that potentially is something for which an H1 amendment should be filed, then FDNS is coming in and saying hey, there's a violation. You need to look at this,
0: right? And I think it's important for employers to understand that, um, you know, the FDNS and the Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division they don't need subpoenas to inquire about H-1B workers' uh, work locations, pay, who's controlling their daily work, uh, whether their em- employer gave adequate notice of filing the LCA, you know, et cetera. Um, and and given the success of this program, the employers need to I- expect that. Um, the program will continue to grow and they're going to, you know, continue to, you know, have these visits and be asked these questions and and not necessarily just, you know, limited to to H-1B or or post-adjudication, which right now um, we are seeing these site visits after the case has been approved. Um, But certainly things could move to pre-adjudication, delaying cases being approved um, and, uh, you know, the 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 site visits now although you know post-approval um do occur tend to be you know you know seem to be somewhat close to the adjudication time maybe around the start or shortly after the start of the approved uh, validity period but again you know these can change and we've already Mm -hmm. started seeing changes exactly
2: Mm -hmm. and it's important to remember if you have one of these site visits and your h1b workers are not where they're supposed to be located which is normally the address listed on the most recent I-129 petition. Uh, the consequences to the employees can be very serious. Um, We've seen circumstances where we're in that scenario where the worker is not where they're supposed to be. That USCIS will actually enter a fraud finding against the worker and put that in their electronic record. So they'll go, uh, and this happens unbeknownst to them. They'll leave the United States and try to apply for a visa stamp. And they will be told that they are not eligible to receive their visa stamp because there is this formal fraud determination entered against them in their electronic record. Um, it is also important to remember that this is not limited to H 1Bs anymore. Um, we have seen site visits uh, in the cases of individual L1A petitions, um, FDNS site visits, and also these site visits are also part of the new STEM OPT extension. So that's another arena where we're going to start seeing site visits. I and we
1: just talked about the STEM O P D extension very recently, I guess, in your last conference call of last month about all the new STEM O P D extension rules. So now we also have, besides all of the different federal governmental agencies generally connected with immigration, like Department of Labor, Department of State, Department of Homeland Security, we now have the FBI involvement. What's all that about now, Rosa? Right. So going from away from the employee side,
0: like which what. Chris was just talking about, over to the employer side. Uh, The FBI has become uh, more visible in investigations of H-1B employers, uh, more indictments, more criminal prosecutions. And employers, you know, maybe if they're getting questioned by FDNS, Department of Labor, or ICE, maybe they think they're just cooperating. But in in actuality, these investigators can be working directly with FBI agents. Uh, FBI, IRS, and investigators from other agencies can collect evidence during these inquiries to support criminal charges relating to immigration fraud, visa fraud, mail fraud, wire fraud, tax fraud, conspiracy, et cetera, and we are seeing uh, more of these go public.
2: Mm -hmm. And one of the main things we've been seeing since the site visits started uh, is basically a a blizzard of notices of intent to revoke, what we call NORs. Um, And basically these NORs are based on the site visits normally when the, when the USCIS investigator does not find the worker where they're supposed to be. But what's confusing to employers here, this can occur years after the site visit. Um, you might have a site visit and assume everything is okay, then two years later you'll get one of these notices of intent to revoke based on that site visit, basically saying that the USCIS officer was unable to determine that the, the employment was proceeding as it was supposed to. Um, and you know, USCIS has previously approved the H-1B. Now they're coming back much, much later uh, and saying, we're going to revoke this, this H-1B. Um, it's possible the, the employees no longer even at the company, or they've, they've gotten an H-1B extension since then. Um, so it's a very it's a very confusing situation to employers
1: for sure for sure and when I know when Alyssa was just talking a minute ago about all of those other the FBI sort of federal criminal charges like visa fraud mail fraud wire fraud tax fraud conspiracy a lot of people ask have even said to me how can that possibly be and the point is that in this day and age with sort of faxes and emails and mail service and uh, you know, All of us are doing work electronically. And so the federal government really says that it's an automatic. If I talk to you right now, you're probably calling from all over the country on this phone call. Uh, And so it's not just Maryland law anymore, even though we may be based in Baltimore County, Maryland but potentially the reach is all across the country. And so similarly, if you as an employer have filed the LCA or mailed it from location A to location B, you've used the fax service, you've used faxes, emails, letters, whatever. The government basically uses almost anything to connect to anything else so that they have multiple counts of federal indictments to try to charge all of us as employers if they can find any nail to hang their hat on. We have also seen notice of intentions to revoke um, issued likely from the Fraud Detection and National Security or FDNS visits or Department of State referrals when there's a visa application which has been denied or whatever on several, several issues, particularly location and stuff. So Alyssa, I'm going to have you and Chris explain some of that.
0: Right. So one of the the biggest uh, or most common bases that we would see with IT consulting companies um, resulting in failed FDNS visits or, uh, you know, perhaps H-1B visa denials is, uh, when there's a change in, in work location within IT consulting, because usually that means there's also a change in your client. Um, so if there is a sales failed site visit or if the Department of State, the consulate, returns the application, the H-1B petition to USCIS, the Notice of Intent to Revoke will mention that there was this site visit, uh, that the worker was not there, no one there knew the worker, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, now, matter again, prior to Matter of Simio Solutions, there is this practice of just doing an LCA update for the new work location and not filing the amendment. But as, as you pointed out earlier, Sheila, is that the only reason that USCIS knows where to go or the FDNS knows where to go is because the location is listed I- on the I-129, which is part of the amendment. So if you're only doing an LCA update, the, the investigator, the FDNS officer, is uh, inevitably not going to go to the most current location. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and another thing that's very important to to, to note here, um, if your first work location on your H-1B was the company headquarters, or if it was an existing client project, but your H-1B worker never worked there, uh, is a high pros- possibility that USCIS could make a fraud finding against the company in that situation. Um, you really want to watch out for a pattern of in-house H-1B filings followed by a quick move to a client location. Um, DHS and, and other other elements of the U.S. government have been aggressively pursuing this as visa fraud, um, essentially under a theory that there was never really work at the or at the original client listed, or never really in-house work. That this was essentially an artifice to to bring the worker in until you got a, until you got a client project, and th- we've seen a number of prosecutions, criminal prosecutions based on this fact pattern.
1: That's really scary. It's ridiculous. When it's you know sometimes I feel like. They have too much money on their hand thanks to all of us filing all these petitions and giving them this fraud fee. Also, there's the big risk that the USCIS will start denying these extensions of status uh, or approving H-1 petitions only with the consular processing uh, option stating that the change in the work location or any of these other factors has actually put the worker out of status. Okay, so now let's jump to the next topic. So the first was the work location. Now we're talking also about not performing the same job duties, meaning not employed in the capacity as specified in the H-1 petition and issuing like a notice of intent to revoke. So how does that work, Alyssa? Right, now, that's that's another point that comes up.
0: Uh, A good example of this would be uh, from a NOR or notice of intent to revoke is if a headquarters location was initially listed as the work site, FDNS did a site visit but found there was only, say, a shared office space, maybe the company owner or CEO. CEO. The notice of intent to revoke may be issued asking for a list of company workers, location salaries etc perhaps evidence of the lease and floor plan proof that you have room for the number of employees that are supposed to be working um, you know according to the number of company h-1b filings Uh, and so this often happens if a company lists a headquarters location on the first petition but then does this lca update without the amendment and moves the the employee to a third party location so if they can't identify the worker then if they can't find the worker and locate them to confirm the duties, um, then they're going to question the entire petition. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: And a related issue uh, that we've seen are Notices of Intent to Revoke, where the job duties uh, reported do not match those listed on the H-1B petition. Um, some employers, as a practice, will list only one occupation on all their H-1Bs. Um, everyone's a programmer analyst, or everyone's a systems, systems analyst. Um, I realize that's convenient for the employer in terms of preparing the petitions, um, but these are not the same positions.
1: Got it. So so now we're going to jump to the third issue. The first one, as we said, was location. Second one, not employed in the capacity stated on the petition. And the third most common reason for these investigations by federal governmental agencies on U.S. employers is the control, the right to control, especially and particularly for ID consulting companies. But it's not only limited to ID consulting companies where the notice of intent to revoke question whether the H-1 worker is actually being controlled by the H-1B petitioning employer when, especially when the employee is working at a third party, like a client location. So can you share a couple of examples, Alyssa and Chris? Yeah, sure. So again, this is really common in IT
0: consulting. Um, and a good example of a NOR in this context would be uh, the FDNS uh, issuing their Notice of Intent to Revoke when a large end-client uh, contract includes language, say with the vendor, uh, stating that the client will not allow contact with the H-1B employer employers or limits the contact to the end-client staff and maybe the prime vendor staff. If the FDNS officer were to obtain a copy of this contract, they could issue a notice of intent to revoke to the H-1B employer saying that, you know, it appears that you, you are unable to control your employee at this third-party location. Uh, ask for additional copies of contracts or evidence to show that they can control them.
2: And it's very common for USCIS to, to question uh, control issues When there is a complete absence of any any verification from the end client regarding uh the petitioners the h1b petitioners control of their employees no end client letter no email no nothing that's that's a major issue and even if you do have some verification from the end client um, uscs may still expect more from you uh, specific details on how you're controlling your employees when they're at a client location
1: okay and you know We've also seen, for example, are there any other issues from the notice of intents to revoke that seem to come from FDNS or Department of Labor or the consular officer investigations or petition returns? What are the situations that we're seeing here? Right. So we
0: do see uh, situations where an H 1B employer files the petition, the H 1 petition. Uh, for the employee to work at their headquarters location on something in-house, uh, but maybe the worker is in the U.S. and then later starts working at a client location, that worker is eventually, you know, most likely going to need to obtain an H-1B visa um, when they next travel outside the U.S. Mm-hmm. And
2: generally a consular officer at, during the course of these visa applications, they'll they'll confirm the details in the H-1B petition uh, as, as far as the work duties and the work location. And they'll ask the person who's applying for the visa questions and potentially request some documents um, visa applicants uh, should always truthfully complete the ds160 which is the online application for their visa interview um, with their employment details and they should explain that they're working at an end client location um, now if the employer has not amended the h1b this is probably almost certainly going to lead to a refusal of visa And what's going to happen is the petition is going to be sent back to USCIS for a potential revocation. Um, I mean, we've seen examples, um, actual examples from a notice of intent to revoke. Uh, A beneficiary appeared for a visa interview. Um, The H-1B listed the work location as the headquarters of the company. Um, Evidence that the applicant presented at the interview indicated that he would actually be at client X. And the consulate said, the consular officer said, that demonstrates um, a material change from the original petition submitted to USCIS and was grounds for refusal of the visa application and for a potential revocation of the petition.
1: In fact, just earlier today I had almost a similar situation where they said there was a problem with the work location and the the visa was denied. The person got first stuck in Canada for three months. Three months, hotel and other costs, then from there went to India and is now stuck in India for three more months. And Employee doesn't understand what's going on, and it's really, really sad. So now we're also seeing Department of Labor or Fraud Detection and National Security or FDNS referrals from one agency to the other agency. So when the H-1B employer f- signs the LCA, which you all do when we sign the H-1 pe- file the H-1 petitions, we are all agreeing to cooperate in a Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division investigation without the need for either the Department of Labor or the Wage and Hour Division to obtain an administrative or judicial subpoena. So they don't have to go get a subpoena, get a warrant, anything. You're basically waiving those rights. So always read the fine print, even if it's once every year or two years. But the Department of Labor has a memorandum of understanding, or MOU, with different federal agencies. And they are allowed to share that information that is collected during the wage and hour division investigation with the USCIS and its FDNS officers, with the FBI, or even with local, state, or federal prosecutors. So Alyssa or Chris, can you give us maybe an example or two of a situation where the investigation by DOL can actually turn criminal? Sure, Sheila. Uh, One
0: example would be a DOL investigator finding evidence that the owner of a company has been forging signatures on documents that were submitted to USCIS, the IRS with tax filings, or even to the Department of Labor, Wage, and Hour Division during the investigation. Uh, The Department of Labor, Wage, and Hour Division investigator has several options. They can refer the matter to USCIS, FDNS, or ICE. They can refer it to a local prosecutor for criminal charges in state court, to a federal prosecutor at the local U.S. attorney's office
1: for criminal charges in federal court, or to the IRS. Okay. Wow, that's really scary. Are there times when the ICE and the Department of Labor, or the ICE meaning the Immigration and Customs Enforcement and DOL, Department of Labor, actually will work together also during the initial investigation stage? And is this something that's been a trend as well that you have observed, Chris?
2: Absolutely, Sheila. Um, for example, we could have a DOL investigator uh, who could potentially team up with an ICE, in, an ICE agent To investigate an H-1B employer and find out, for example, um, that they're taking money from their applicants uh, in return for filing an H-1B petition. Uh, Worse than that, they might also be um, taking additional funds to lower their wages below the wage that they're required to pay by the terms of the LCA. Um, And this can have a number of consequences. Um, It can result in a a USCIS uh, or ICE investigation. It can result in criminal prosecution. Um, and if you're talking about uh, fake payroll documents, essentially uh, documentation saying that an employee is being paid more than they actually are, uh, that can lead to prosecution or investigation by a variety of different agencies beyond USCIS uh, or DOS, ad- and also to p- potential uh, criminal prosecution.
1: Hmm. Okay. So now let's jump to the la- sort of to the FDNS issue. Uh, Where would an FDNS investigation possibly, when would it, and where would it lead to the criminal investigation or prosecution, and what options does FDNS have? So we've talked about what things they can do. They can issue the notice of intents to revoke, raising the issue of fraud. Uh, which can obviously impact your company, or your as o- and as a U.S. owners and your employees. They can refer the case to the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, for cr- separate criminal investigation by ICE, resulting in a removal or a deportation of the H-1 workers because they're not maintaining their valid status because they're not at that particular work location. They can also ask these removable workers or your H1 employees to testify against the company and its management or owners and possibly try to entice, hang this carrot in front of them by offering to give them an, a U visa, which could lead, help them down the road to get the green card. But in the meanwhile, the owners and the management is sort of stuck with this, like, hey, this is the pattern and practice of the company. Or they can refer the situation to a state or county prosecutor in the location where the so-called document forgery occurred, if that's what happened in the U.S. Or they could refer the situation to the FBI or the local attorney for review for criminal investigations or prosecution. We also have uh, the last agency before we'll get to hopefully some solutions for you all, which is the U.S. Department of State which is making its own separate referrals. Alyssa, can you just briefly go with some of that? Right,
0: so when you have a H-1B and H-4 visa applicants going to the consulate, during these, these interviews they're answering questions from the officers and it can lead to referrals of questions or concerns to the Department of Labor and FDNS investigators. Consular officers can issue 221G requests that are expansive and ask for a listing of all H-1B workers for the company with their current location, rate of pay, job title, et cetera, basically just opening the door to more fully investigating the company, the employer, and and what they're doing with their H-1Bs. They could also ask for details about the individual H-1B workers' current project, and then have follow-up to that end client in the U.S. to verify if what is in the approved H-1B petition is actually, you know, the, the, the actual work situation. Um, so if consular officers notice that an employee or an H-4 applicant even, has, uh, you know, uh, the or in the case of an H-4 applicant, if their H-1B spouse has been benched, underpaid or sent to work to a location not listed in the petition, the the U.S. consulate officer can deny the visa and refer the case back to USCIS, in which case it's then further followed up on.
1: Okay, so now enough of all the scary stuff that's going on. If I'm an H-1B employer, a consulting company, or just any H-1 employer, and I really want to try to minimize, avoid, ideally eliminate it, but that's probably not going to happen. They have too much money and too many uh, investigators. And as someone once said, if there are so many investigators, by golly, I'm going to go find some fraud. So, how can we as employers recommend to our company clients how they can try to? avoid an investigation. Some suggestions. Chris, can I start with you and then Alyssa? Sure,
2: Sheila. Most important thing for any employer is that you have to carefully scrutinize all your H-1B petitions before they're filed. Uh, I realize this can be difficult if it's H-1B cap season and you're trying to file potentially dozens of H-1B petitions. But Remember, anything you write in these petitions could later on, potentially years down the road, be scrutinized by an FDNS agent or by potentially an assistant U.S. attorney for for a criminal prosecution. So make sure everything in those petitions is accurate. Um, Another thing we've seen, and and this is something we've seen time and time again, uh, it's a very, very bad practice to give your employees, whether they're human resources or management in the U.S. or employees uh, in the back office in India, um, don't give them bonuses or incentives uh, for getting H-1B petitions are approved, or getting a, for getting H-1B workers onto in-client projects, um, it's it's a huge incentive uh, to create fraudulent documents or to cut corners on the H-1Bs, um, and even even companies that are trying to follow the rules here can get in trouble by a rogue employee that's trying to get their bonus or their incentive. Um, now, if you're an IT consulting company. Remember to file your H-1B amendments. Very important. That's one thing that's become absolutely clear in the past several years. Um, if you have an, empl- an H-1B employee that moves to a new, new client, new project, you have to file that amendment. Uh, this is because USCIS is supposed to be informed immediately of any, uh, the term is, material change in the H-1B employment. Um, and also, as a practical matter, if there's an FDNS site visit, they're going to go to the address on the most recent I-129. Um, if you haven't filed an I-129 for the new location, they're going to go to the wrong place and your employee is not going to be there.
0: Yeah, another uh, very important issue is money. Uh, do not accept any money from your, you know, from H-1B workers. I- if an, um, if a company even wants to, you know, be helpful and loan money to an HLB worker in the form of an advance, it's really important to speak with an immigration compliance attorney about how to document document this at the time of the advance and how to show future deductions from pay properly. Uh, you don't want uh, the – depart even if this is truly just an advance or loan, you want to avoid the Department of, L- of Labor Wage and Hour Division investigation coming up with a finding of violation – the appearance that perhaps costs of H-1B were being passed on to the employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important to get H-1B workers on payroll as soon as they report for work, uh, not after they get uh, social security numbers. Uh, you, it's you know, or they get an end client project. Delays in the first payroll payments do lead to many adverse Department of Labor wage fi- wage findings. Uh, Also, lastly, do not fail to complete a bona fide termination of workers when they refuse to cooperate or are off a project or on bench, uh, or if they just simply want to join another employer. This really can expose the company to large back wage obligations, and workers know that they can complain to the Department of Labor as soon as they get their new employer's I-797 approval notice. Or they may even contact the Department of Labor if there's a gap of time without pay, and they want to you know, maybe... uh, uh, go after the company, you know, to get around the need to show that they were
1: in status or extend their status if they're moving to a new company. Okay, so, so these are really helpful, simple tips. Some of it may seem like common sense, but as often we have said, common sense is not that common, especially when we're busy, overworked, stressed, and pulled in a million directions as busy, busy, busy owners, company, um, you know, managers, HR people that are trying to juggle a million things at the same time. So... I know we're always extremely sensitive to trying to keep these discussions between 30 to 45 minutes or so uh, with you. We certainly hope that you find today's investment to have been worthwhile in understanding some of the tips on how to avoid an investigation, in understanding what is happening and the trends, and when you or your employees get a visa denial at a consulate, that you understand what are the possible reasons uh, usually starts with this federal investigations uh, of, the, of your H-1 petitions. So on behalf of myself, Sheila Murthy, Alyssa Klein, Chris Drynen, and our entire Murthy Law Firm team, we wish you and your company a wonderful summer, and we certainly look forward to continuing to take great care of you with respect to any and all immigration matters, should you ever need them, from our fantastic team. Have a great day.